It's five o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. <laughs> hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Okay, it is to get you to the weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show on a Friday. Thank you for being with us here. 94.3 The Game, 94.3thegame.com and the IBX Media app. Hello again, everybody. Great P-Man here with you. Philip the Rough Pilkington is uh, producing our effort today, and it is a delight to have you with us. We got Pirate Basketball coming up this weekend. ECU will look for the season sweep of Temple. It'll be played in the prime time spot of 5 p.m. Sunday on ESPNU, opposite of all the NFL championship games. Wow. All right. So uh, airtime on 94.3, the game of 4.30, 5 o'clock tip between the Pirates and uh, Owls. All right. Let's uh, start here. we got a great show. We're going to talk some hoops with Brian Mull coming up. We've got a story about uh, more kind of uh, off-the-court issues with local high schools, battling it out with fans and that sort of thing. It's been a problem the last few years. Uh, we have I Pilk, do we have the pirate do we have the audio for the pirate report? When are we doing that? I, are we are we gonna be able to do that next segment or is that a later thing? Should be. Joey football's in there handling thing. that now. All right, we'll figure it out. Uh, right now we go to the world headquarters of WRAL. The people that you can blame for naming these people the yard gnomes in Greenville. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we don't hold Brian Murphy responsible. He's uh all over uh, sports investigative coverage for WREL uh, Sports. Murph, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So uh, it's here. We've got a date uh, for uh, sports gambling legalization in North Carolina. Makes sense because it's uh, on the eve of the ACC tournament and other conference tournaments uh, that involve teams from North Carolina. The American tournament starts that week as well. So uh, you've got that. You've also got uh, a week or so to kind of ramp it up, maybe work out the kinks before the NCAA tournament. Yeah, March 11th is the date that you'll be able to place those bets on, on your mobile devices. Uh, in-person sports betting will not start on March 11th. Uh, not that there's going to be one there in, in eastern North Carolina, but uh, those are going to take a little while longer. March 11th, uh, March 1st, you'll be able to open your accounts, fund those accounts, but March 11th, you'll be able to bet. And It is kind of a perfect time here in North Carolina. It'll be right before the ACC tournament and other conference tournaments, right before the NCAA tournament. Uh, the Masters comes right after that, your baseball future bets. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think they were hoping to get it, you know, certainly they would love to have it before the Super Bowl, but I think this would be the next spot in the calendar when uh, when you get a real big bang for your buck to start it. Yeah, uh, you know, I think a lot of people go gloom and doom when something doesn't happen on the first day there's a window. And so I think a lot of people thought, well, it's the state. They're, they're going to punt this off the side of their foot if you'll pardon the sports uh, pun. Uh, but I really think that you're looking at – the best time to do this. So do you think that the state is adequately prepared uh, and will be ready to go come March 11th? Yeah, you know, this is about nine months. The start date is about nine months after the bill was signed into law. Now, the budget, uh, which only passed, you know, in late fall, uh, included some changes that really kind of delayed the process a little bit. All the operators had to have these written designation agreements with teams or facilities in the state. So I don't know that they could have moved much faster. Uh, the other thing is, you know, because North Carolina is like the 30th state to do this, they have a lot of other states' regulations and rules to draw upon. And so I don't, right. you know, they, they were able to put these rules together pretty quickly by pulling from other, from other states. And, and obviously the guy they have running it 
uh, helped launch it in Massachusetts. So right. Right. I, I don't think there'll be a ton of kinks, especially if you look at the people who have the or the companies that have applied as operators. We're talking FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, uh, ESPN Bet, people that have, have done this in many, many other states. There's only one, and that's Underdog Sports that's been running fantasy contests that is now going to be getting into the betting space. Outside of them, right. all, all the rest of these have been running uh, betting in in dozens of other states. And so I, I think it should be pretty seamless. I mean, it, it may be as simple as them turning on the, the geofencing to allow people in North Carolina to place those bets. Well, let's hope that's the case. Uh, Brian Murphy, WRAL investigative sports reporter uh, covering uh, the uh, legalization of sports gambling. He's been all over it from day one. And he's indulged us uh, here on our show, and uh, we're glad to have him uh, here on this Friday. I, I noticed, I guess there are only nine, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but at last check, nine that had applied. And you can get in North Carolina, there are going to be as many as a dozen providers. Why has there not been this sort of flocking uh, to, to, you know, fertile new ground? It would seem like there would be at least 20 or more. I don't know if that many exist, really, but, uh, you know, you, it seems like the number on that for applicants would be bigger. Yeah, the state limited it to 12, and that number might be slightly higher because the tribes are allowed to, to get into this business as well, and they don't count against that 12. So really, there, there may right. be as many as 14. Um, but I, I mentioned that written designation agreement. So in order for, say, we'll use FanDuel, uh, in order for FanDuel to get an, a, a license, they have to have a written designation agreement with one of these entities. Well, we still haven't heard who the Carolina Panthers or Charlotte FC or here in here in Raleigh, the the North Carolina Courage have picked as their as their partners. So right. the companies have to partner with these entities, and I, I think it's sort of a game of musical chairs a little bit, right? Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes picked theirs, and the Hornets picked theirs, and NASCAR and the PGA Tour picked theirs. Um, kind of running out of some of the bigger names uh, to sign with the Panthers or to sign with Charlotte FC, and so that's one of the limitations. I think had you had a completely open process where anyone could apply for a license, right. they didn't right. need to strike yeah. a deal with the team. You might have a few more operators, but I think having nine operators at launch is going to give customers, you know, a, a wide variety of choices. You can you can try out the apps. You can see which one you like better. You can see which one gives you the best odds. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to believe that people would would test out, you know, 15, 20 of these. I think nine probably it serves the serves the customer well enough. Uh, and I do think yeah. a few will come on board after, you know, after launch. I think we'll see, you know, two or three more join the marketplace later in the year. So you think it'll be a pretty smooth rollout. Is there anything that might would cause a delay that you're, you're hearing is, uh, or, or is, are we a little too soon for that right now? Yeah, I can't see anything causing a delay, but if anything causes a delay, I think it's going to be on the operator side. I mean, the state is, is ready to go. They're checking for internal controls right now. Um, that means, can they keep your money safe? Uh, can they produce a report to the, lottery commission that says okay this is how many bets we took in this is how much revenue we took in today daily reports weekly reports uh can, do they have their responsible gaming uh, your systems in place can you get on the exclusion list if you decide hey this isn't for me i want to be banned from this you know can, can they can they execute that um can they follow the law so all that you know the the commission the lottery commission is making sure that all these operators can can handle that stuff can comply with the law and once they've feel that they can then they'll get a conditional license to begin taking bets uh by that by that march 11th date so right now i think the ball's in the operators courts 
like I said, most of these operators are operating in, in dozens of states across the country. I have a feeling that they're ready to go as well. So I can't really see anything that's going to delay this this start date um, you know, at, at all. I, I imagine even if one operator is unable to, to, to meet all the checkpoints, you're still going to have you know seven, eight other operators ready to go on day one. Board of Governors meeting yesterday where the fate of uh, NC State and UNC – more appropriately, North Carolina and NC State, probably in that order, uh, are are going to be as far as conference expansion. Now, the grant of rights notwithstanding, what was decided yesterday out of that meeting? Yeah, this is pretty interesting. The, the Board of Governors has decided to update their athletic policy, and they have basically put in more checks on teams that want to switch conferences. Um, and so in order to change athletic conferences, uh, once this, this uh, policy gets approved at next month's meeting, you'll have to um, submit a financial plan. Each individual institution will have to submit a financial plan to the president of the UNC system. They'll have to give it's okay, his okay or her okay. And then the board of governors, the 24 person board of governors will have to decide if they want to veto it as well. So it'll have to go through both the president and then the board. Um, a lot of people are seeing this as a way to you know limit North Carolina and sort of handcuff them to NC State. I'm not sure that's 100% true. I, I think a lot of it is about oversight and power and, and who has the ultimate authority. But I do find it interesting. This, this comes at a time when the ACC's future is, is certainly in doubt. Um, but it didn't happen when ECU changed conferences or App State changed conferences or Charlotte right, changed conferences, right. which they just did. Uh, North Carolina A&T has switched conferences multiple times here in the last decade. Um, but only when you know both UNC and, and maybe NC State were kind of tied um, – looking at, at maybe moving conferences, did the board say, hey, this is something we need to get involved in. So I think it's a good indication that those two schools are treated much differently than maybe the other schools in the UNC system. Oh, we know that here at Greenville all too well. <laughs> we know it in Greenville all too well that those two get uh, certain treatment. But in all seriousness, though, is there anything to read into that you have a couple of uh, NC State people at the top of that board right now, or is that just coincidence? I mean, I don't, I don't think anything's coincidence. So uh, I, I do think what's interesting is <laughs> the, the state is certainly invested in the ACC, right? It, it put $15 million to keep the ACC headquarters. Uh, certainly while NC State and UNC are the only public schools in the ACC, Duke and Wake Forest have economic impact to the state as well. And so I think there's a concern that the AC and look at all the championships that the ACC plays in the state of North Carolina, including the the football championship game and, and the basketball tournament in most seasons. Um, and so I think they have an invested interest in keeping the propping the ACC up as much as they can. And so this just gives them another check and balance. Um, if the ACC were to collapse or UNC were to look to leave to the, to the SEC or to the big 10. Um, so I think it's in their interest at the end of the day. Do I think that the, the board of governors is going to stop UNC from, from leaving and making $120 million point? I really find it hard to believe that at the end of the day they'll they'll stop a school from going, but but they will certainly have that power here shortly. Do you uh, do you any, any update on the ACC lawsuit against Florida State that was filed in Charlotte? We know, of course, famously FSU sued the conference, and then the ACC is I don't want to say countersued, but they brought their own suit. Uh, is there any work? Because that seemed like that was going to be the one that was going to get maybe if you will, fast-track the head of the Florida suit. Yeah, the ACC, you know, actually got their suit in first in Mecklenburg, and then they filed an amended okay. lawsuit gotcha. that said 
um, that said Florida State should be banned from from making decisions about the conference. Now that that doesn't mean like their athletic director won't get to vote on the football schedule or the, the soccer schedule, but it does mean that their president wouldn't be able to vote on you know how money is distributed or whether they sign this contract or sign that contract. Um, so the ACC is really digging in here with their lawsuit in Mecklenburg. I think the next thing that we'll see is whose lawsuit you know moves forward, uh, whether right, first right. or or at all. Like, is this is jurisdiction going to be in Leon County and in Tallahassee, or is it going to be in Mecklenburg County here in North Carolina? That still has to be decided, and I think that may go a long way toward determining you know which side comes out on top of this thing. You know, if there were a Bucky's, uh, well, there is. There's one in Florence. Why don't they just hold it at the Bucky's in Florence? They'll just have the meeting there. Nobody just do the court there. That way, everybody gets heard and they can they can do that. All right, uh, Brian, great stuff. Thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Where can everybody follow your work uh, on X and online uh, and all of that? Where's the best place to follow all this? Sure, wrl.com and wrlsportsfan.com, and then I'm at Murph's Turf on X. Uh, still, still call it Twitter, but Murph's Turf on X. Right. Well, I'm trying to be hip with the kids. All right. Thank you, uh, Brian. I appreciate it, man. Take care. Have a good weekend. All right. Thanks, Patrick. All right. There he goes. Brian Murphy. Good stuff there from him. Uh, It's all over it. And uh, Brian does such a great job. All right. Speaking of Brian, Brian Mole coming up in a little bit. Uh, Before we go to break and do our pirate report, there was a post-game flare-up between fans and security at uh, my alma mater, Parrot, the other night, earlier in the week. Uh, they were playing JP2 in Greenville. This has become a very heated and personal rivalry, kind of stemming from football where they played for championships the last few years. And deputies say to the dispute between uh, some of the fans of Parrot security staff, uh, an off-duty deputy who was there to help restore order as well as on-duty depu- on deputies who were called in to help. Uh, no arrest, at least as of the uh, article here from WITN the other day, the Sheriff's Office of School Security is reviewing school security videos as well as those from spectators um i had heard through this that uh somebody had gotten one of the security people had gotten really hurt pretty badly a press release said parrot safety and security director will press charges if applicable that's i think part of the thing where that person got injured uh john paul ended up winning i guess the boys basketball game 48 47 but look this just spills over to uh We've seen idiocracy at games, fights, uh, Kinston High, and incidents in the stands where Farmville Central was playing. Uh, We've seen uh, that idiotic incident where the kid was stabbed outside of the Rose South Central game, and now you've got it, uh, you know, even at a place like JP2 and Parrot, which, uh, you know, you, you have that private school stigma. Uh, but I think it's it just this just proves it's societal. You got a societal problem. Doesn't matter where your kids in school. You, if you're not, if you're not doing the right thing and instilling the right values in these kids and, and holding them accountable when they do something, because you're all concerned about being their friend, then that's that that's that's where all this stems from. This doesn't. St- and I mean, parents do better if you're a fan in the stands and you're a parent or you're someone related to these and you're an alleged adult. Do better. It's just. That's silly. And look, I, I don't know exactly what happened over there. I probably know a little more than I need to say publicly, but everybody involved from the administration even, get a handle on things. Do your jobs. As parents and as administrators, do your jobs. And don't get mad because people are too old school and they wanted to do their jobs the right way. 
And yeah, anyway, I can, I'm not going to say any more because I know too much. All right, we're taking a break. When we come back, Pirate Report time here with uh, comments from Mike Schwartz ahead of tomorrow's, oh, excuse me, Sunday's basketball game with Temple. Now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome back uh, in. All right. Uh, Pirate Report time. Pirates will be taking on the... um, Pirates will be taking on the uh, Owls of Temple coming up on Sunday, 5 o'clock tip, 4.30 airtime on 94.3 The Game. Uh, Coach Swartz on if a win over Wichita could prove to be uh, kind of a launching pad or a bit of a turning point in the season as ECU's back to 10-10 uh, and 10 overall and 3-4 and four in the American. I don't know about turning point. I, I know that I like where the team is. I like the way they're competing and to go on the road in, in that kind of environment and uh, again, so much respect for Wichita State and, and Coach Paul Mills and their program and their coaches and their players. Uh, it was a great environment in there. We know the tradition that that, uh, that Wichita State has. So, But again, I'll say uh, a game, a conference game, is just a big win to be able to win a game in conference play, let alone being on the road. And to have two of them right now is... Coach Schwartz with familiarity on Temple while uh, going into the game. Obviously, your first opponent that you've played twice or a second time this season, so uh, they're and, and pretty close to the first matchup. So a lot of the uh, components, I would think, could be applicable. But let's hear what Coach Schwartz had to say. You know, I mean, obviously no different than what Temple will do. They'll, they're going to look at the game uh, film. We're going to look at the game from the first game. They're playing a little bit different. We're playing a little bit different. I mean, we're playing a different lineup. So, yes, of course, there's a familiarity with the two teams because we played already in Philadelphia. But as far as it being the same game or anything like that, it, it really isn't. I mean, I know Coach Fisher very well. He's just a great coach. they got a great program. And, again, we're going to look at the film. They're going to look at the film. But both teams are playing different right now than we were a few weeks ago. And uh, here is uh, Bobby Pettiford's impact, uh, according to Coach Swartz, on the Wichita State game. Well, I think it's big that I think anytime you go from a starting role and then you go to coming off the bench, and I just really appreciate and the team appreciates Bobby's professionalism and the way he approached it, and he is about the team. And he knows that we want and need more from him, and he's had his moments, and he was fantastic the other night uh, at Wichita. So I think just his whole approach, though, coming off the bench, what he did, I thought was very big, as you said, energy, but he brought leadership-wise. He had, we had the ball in his hands late game. He made great decisions, and he was as big a part of that victory as any. And it's not about the stat. And uh, on why this game is different uh, this time than last time when the Pirates played Temple a few weeks ago. I think so. I mean, you know, for example, I mean, they're still shooting the threes, uh, three ball very, very what uh, they um, right now are the – made the second most in conference. They're leading the conference in attempts by nearly, I think it's like 60 attempts or something. So they're going to shoot a lot of threes. They're still five out, but they're posting the ball more. They're getting the ball inside more. Um, and for know. team, it's good too. And, and for us, I think we're playing a little bit different too. We're playing a little bit bigger. We've, uh, you know, mixed and matched our lineup some. So 
again, I, I think the familiarity because we played is there, but I just think it's a different game. And uh, Mike Swartz on uh, big steps by winning late and what it means for his program. Well, I don't, I don't know if we've learned it yet, uh, you know, but I think it's, an, it's a process that happens every single game. It happened in practice here just a, a few minutes ago as we wrapped up. I mean, you're working on those things all the time. But the guys do need to feel that, and, and they felt that. They felt that a couple other times this year uh, when we won close games. And then they also felt the, the heartbreak of losing games, you know, or, or being defeated in the final two to three minutes or on the last possessions with, with, with three seconds. So they know that feeling too. But the other night is definitely a step in the right direction. But you said it because once you get that feeling of knowing how to win games late and you believe, uh, that feeling can be very addictive to players. And, and you know, but we're, we're getting there. We're building towards that, but we're definitely not there yet. All right, uh, that'll do it for today's Pirate Report. Let's go now to uh, Philip the Ref Pilkington. Oh, by the way, ECU and Temple play at uh, four at five o'clock on a Sunday evening. Uh, it'll be uh, a nationally televised game live from Williams Arena Minji's Coliseum. It will also be uh, heard here on ninety four three. The game at uh, five thirty or five o'clock with a four thirty airtime with uh, Darren Vaught and Coach Mike Perry. All right, who's in the, the studio that day, Pilk? Is that you, or is you got somebody else lassoed in on that one? No, I'll be in the studio. Really? Yep. Dual screen in it with that and the uh, the conference championship games. I, I figured, uh, yeah, all right. Uh, speaking of the ref, Philip Pilkington, here he is, a 94-3 The Game Sports Update and Pirate Report. Pilk, take it away. Thank you, P-Man. Last night, the women's team grabbed their second straight victory with a 78-74 win over FAU. Danae McNeil led all scores with 32 points. Next up, they will be at South Florida on Sunday at noon on ESPN+. Speaking of Sunday, the men's team will be in action at 5 o'clock. You can hear it right here on 94.3 The Game. Network coverage starting at 4.30 as they host the Temple Owls trying to go for their first ever sweep over that program. It is being reported that Dave Dave Canales has received a six-year deal with the Carolina Panthers to be the new head coach. Still not sure about the value of that contract. The men's Australian Open final is set after an upset of 10-time champ Novak Djokovic, 22-year-old Italian Yannick Sinner, will play in his first Grand Slam final when he will meet the 2021 U.S. Open champion Daniil Medvedev of Russia. The Canes won their second of a back-to-back last night as they defeated New Jersey 3-2, and the NL champion D-backs have added to their roster last late last night as they signed outfielder Jock Peterson. The two-time All-Star was most recently with the San Francisco Giants, where he spent the last two seasons. That'll do it for your 94-3 Game Sports Flash Update and Pirate Report. On the other side of this timeout, we will be joined by Brian Mull to talk college hoops. Have you noticed he's in his own little happy hour? We're back to the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the happy hour program. Here's the P-Man. All right. uh, Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. We uh, continue on here on the PJ Show. A couple segments with uh, our friend Brian Mull from uh, 
the world of golf and the uh, world of uh, college basketball, two things that he uh, writes about and follows uh, pretty frequently. Uh, there's Brian Mull with us on the video feed. You can hear him clearly here at BG Mull on X. Blue Ribbon writes for them. So he makes the adjustment. All right, uh, Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well, Patrick. How are you, bud? Good to talk to you. Um, so we have uh, at Torrey Pines uh, the event going on uh, right now this uh, week. Let's start with a little golf uh, and uh, everything uh, firing back up. The third round this afternoon uh, and uh, the majority of it in prime time tonight, I believe. Is that right? Actually, just starting. That so is correct. Well, prime time. Yeah, yeah. Prime time golf, and then the same thing tomorrow night, right? Yeah, uh, Golf Channel, and then CBS uh, picking up a little rare Friday night golf coverage. Uh, I tell you, between that and this uh, late night Australian Open tennis, uh, my I don't know what day of the week it is. I feel like it's holidays again. But, um, <laughs> I. Uh, you know, this is uh, one of the better events on the tour. Generally, the most difficult golf course, of course, this, uh, on tour, the South Course at Torrey Pines, which uh, hosted the U.S. Open, won by John Rahm a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, they have, they've had a ton of rain in San Diego early in the week. So the course was pretty benign. But I think, uh, you know, 12-under is leading right now after two rounds. I would not be surprised if 12-under is also the winning score on, on Sunday. Uh, that's generally the, the, the nature of this tournament. Uh, you've got top names like Tony Finau, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley all lurking. Um, and, you know, Hideki Matsuyama, Masters champion, has generally played well here. So... I would imagine the leaderboard will uh, will have a very heavy elite player f- flavor come Saturday evening. They started it on Wednesday, and I texted you. I said, why are they playing this golf? Co- totally forgetting, slipping my mind, that uh, that you have the uh, the, end of the two NFL games Saturday, uh, Sunday. And you think, okay, well, but they usually play golf, the waste management, even the day of the Super Bowl. But it's usually over before the Super Bowl begins. So... Uh, they did this, what, they started doing this a couple of years ago. I remember that. I remember writing you at the time and saying, well, this is a great idea to move this up. It, it's a benefit to the golf tournament. Do, do, the, do the players like it? Um, I don't think they mind it. And and frankly, um, I think it would be wise of the tour to adopt this format a couple of more times during football season. Uh, get as many eyes as you can on your product on Saturday when, yes, there's college basketball going on, but the nation is, you know, not really involved in that sport generally until March. Um, yeah, I don't think the players mind. I mean, it was an easy trip. Uh, it's a couple-hour drive for those who played last week in the Coachella Valley and uh, just drive over or around the mountain, take your pick. I've done both, um, one a little more harrowing than the other. And, um, yeah, I think I think it's a good decision, and then uh, they they pop up to Pebble Beach for the first signature event, seventy uh, man signature event of the season next week. Yeah, these seventy man events. I mean, I get what they're trying to do, but th- this has got to go the way of the dodo bird, doesn't it? It won't, but it, it needs to. I think of some of the best stories we've had in golf in the last year or so when there's been so much negativity surrounding the sport off the course. 
none bigger than Nick Dunlap winning last week as an amateur, yeah. changing his life. You know, and, and here's a guy, it's 156 man field. He receives a sponsor's exemption, which he was certainly, you know, worthy of as the number one amateur in the world, the US amateur champion. Um downtime for college golf made perfect sense. He was going to come out and play a couple of weeks. Like, and, and now he's changed his life and, and what a great story. I mean, I think anybody who was watching golf, anybody who follows sports just had to think what a, what a terrific moment that was. You look at Kurt Kitayama last year, winning one of the uh, full field uh, elevated or signature events at Bay Hill uh, life-changing moment for him as well. And uh, there, there's been many others. Wyndham Clark winning in Charlotte, of course, propelled him to a U.S. Open championship a, a few weeks later by beating a, a, a an outstanding field there. So uh, the 70-man no-cut, I mean, I get it. I understand why they're trying to guarantee money for the top players to keep them away from live. But uh, hopefully this is just a temporary fix, and, and hopefully there's some type of merger of some shape on the horizon and we can have the best players playing in full field tournaments more frequently. College basketball writer, golf writer, Brian Mole with us here. It just seems like everything the PGA tour has done the last two years has all been reactionary. No, no real vision attached to it. No, I agree. Um, they, they got caught with their pants down, if you will. And uh, realize, you know, once they realized the threat, was a real one uh, to their monopoly over professional golf. Um, it was too late by that point, and uh, they had to do what they could to appease the stars that were were left. Uh, Adrian Moronk seems like the latest to to go over to live, and uh, Terrell Hatton, who has played, uh, you know, an Englishman who's played primarily on the U.S. Tour, top twenty player in the world. Uh, apparently is in negotiations with them as well, which which tends to make me believe that uh, these players know that uh, th- these two entities are not going to be completely separate uh, going forward. Um, anything else on golf we need to bring up? Any stories, anything this week that you feel like uh, is uh, is worth noting? Uh, well, Dunlap, uh, for those who may have missed it, did yeah, uh, go back right, and talk yeah. to Lusa and um, announced that, yes, he is turning pro and uh, we will see him in the field uh, as a professional next week at Pebble Beach and uh, at all the top events and major championships this year. It should be fascinating to to watch a kid who's just barely 20 years old. Wow. How about that? What were we doing at 20? I can tell you, not winning golf <laughs> tournaments. Well, you probably were winning some golf tournaments at 20. Just the paychecks weren't quite what they are, you know, for for what he did last week. I, I wasn't doing squadoosh at 20. That was worth a hoot. <laughs> Trophies and shop credit. Uh, (laughs) That's what you were getting. Yes, trophy. (laughs) A $7 trophy and some shop credit to the tune of 60 bucks. (laughs) All right, Brian Mull is uh, with us here at BG Mull on the Twitter. You can follow him uh, there. Okay, let's uh, talk about East Carolina. Big win at uh, Wichita State, which uh, continues to be uh, uh, in a transitional phase following – uh, really, the, the the firing of uh, oh, what's his name? A couple uh, years ago, uh, rightfully so, needed to be fired. But um, Greg Marshall, it just seems yeah, like he had to go. Greg Marshall, thanks. Yeah, had to go, and uh, it just seems like since then, and even now, I know I realize they got a good coach and it's his first year, but uh, this thing's not gonna. You're, they're not microwaving this thing out in Kansas. No, I remember uh, 
some work I was doing this summer and just kind of breaking down the rosters and just a lot of gaps, which, you know, is to be expected from a first year coach. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't really have any guards that uh, can, can change the game. And uh, they're in an American athletic conference that's extremely deep and competitive from no nights off from top to bottom. And, Unfortunately, someone has to finish at the bottom, and it looks like it's going to be the Shockers. But I don't anticipate them staying there for uh, an extended period going forward. I have full confidence Paul Mills will will get that going, and, the, and that Wichita has all the resources to make that happen. All right. Um, Pirates, though, with a good win. They win a tractor pull and uh, got some contributions from a little bit of everybody. Nice balance to, to what they did the other night. Uh, and Bobby Pettiford coming off the bench, real professional how he handled uh, everything, and he made an impact. He did. He had that huge steal, uh, and, which he converted into a basket late in a, in a one-two possession game. And, uh, you know, he, he's had all the roles in college. He's barely played at Kansas. He's been a starter at East Carolina now coming off the bench, maybe to get a little jump start. And, uh they're going to need him. Obviously, he's one of their better players. He needs to continue to make an impact on the court. And the Pirates are in a good spot here with these two home games. You know, uh, certainly ha- have an opportunity to to get a little winning streak going before a, a trip to a very surprising and, and powerful uh, Charlotte team. Yeah. How about the uh, how, how about what's going on with? Uh... The Niners. It's pretty remarkable that uh, you know we're ending the uh, month of uh, January and they're in first place. Yeah, I mean, I always felt like they were mildly underachieving in recent years and just couldn't seem to to find that identity that they were looking for under their former coach Ron Sanchez. And, and when I spoke with Aaron Fern this summer, uh, I mean, here was a guy who coached at the highest level of professional basketball in Australia. And he, he was very frank. He said, you know, these guys, uh, the, the, the model has changed over here now. It's an NIL situation, so it's basically a professional situation. I'm going to run the team in that fashion and treat them that way and expect them to behave in that way. And if we, and if we can do that and get on the same page, uh, we've acquired enough talent to be competitive. And, uh, you know, they, they had some a few rough spots early, but for the most part, just consistent results. Uh, they're extremely big. Uh, they're one of the few teams that plays two legit big men at times, and uh, they have a terrific guard in Patterson. And uh, their offense is immensely better than it ever was under Sanchez, and they've continued to defend at a pretty high level. So I think they're they're legit and going to be a factor in that race to the end. I mean, it's a it's one of the better stories in the in the region, if not college basketball. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable uh, what uh, what they have done uh, and, and the type of year that they have uh, had. You know, we were talking to the about the American with uh, uh, with Cy Seymour earlier in the week, and uh, you look at the slate uh, tomorrow: Charlotte at Tulane. You know, is this a chance for Tulane to maybe sort of uh, change the trajectory of their season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get a home game like that against the team at the top of the standings and it's a terrific opportunity and uh you know the the gap between the top and the and the middle is really not as wide as some might think in some of these leagues and home court advantage is tremendous i mean i think it's worth three four points i mean teams just perform better they shoot better at home i mean just across the country there's very few teams who whose metrics are better on the road than they are at home and um 
you know, Tulane's been drawing decent crowds there under Ron Hunter uh, during his tenure. They've done a good job with that. And uh, I, I think that's a game that they've they got, you know, if they're going to be a, a factor going forward, if Tulane's going to be a team to, to, to try to build some momentum here in the last month, that this is a great place to start. Uh, certainly a winnable game. I mean, these all of these games seem to be one or two possessions. Uh, it's not like there's a, you know, someone's just going to dominate it for 40 minutes, rarely. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a pretty competitive league, and you just wonder everybody kind of beat up on each other. I, I, it should be a three-bid league. I guess some of the uh, bracketology had it as a three-bid league earlier in the week. Anyway, um, let's let's talk about the Sunday games because uh, it, it must be conference championship time in the NFL because the Americans taking center stage on the worldwide leader. Uh, you got uh, North Texas at Florida Atlantic. So before you watch any football at 1 o'clock on Sunday, that seems like a really interesting game to me because – uh, we know how good Florida Atlantic is and can be. Uh, we also know North Texas is really pesky, and before the loss to Charlotte, they were sitting in first place. Yeah, these teams had some epic battles last year in Conference USA, FAU handling North Texas in the Conference Tournament Championship game, and, and that's a game if they hadn't won, um, you know, could have easily been left out of a tournament the NCAA tournament and of course advanced to the final four North Texas went on and won the NIT as their consolation prize. Uh, it's, you know, like most teams, North Texas plays, it's a huge contrast in styles They're, They want to play a slow half court game. They're extremely, uh, extremely strong on the defensive end and, and are comfortable winning in the fifties or the low sixties FAU, uh, you know, th they defend better than people think, but they want to get up and down. They're deep. They've got scorers coming off the bench and in the starting lineup, and uh, they, they want to in their arena down there, which has been uh, incredibly well attended all year. Um, they they want to get the game moving. So uh, I, I think, yeah, that, that should be a great battle. I love these, you know, they say that styles make fights, and that's the beautiful thing about college basketball. There's a lot of ways to be successful. And then um... – you got uh, Memphis right now struggling a little bit. Do the Tigers have what it takes to kind of put this together and, uh, you know, maintain, uh, you know, at least a, t a solid two-bid league for the uh, for the American? Yeah, it's almost as if the, the Tigers put so much of their energy and focus into a rigorous non-conference schedule that they've almost let down a little bit as they've entered the American and, and which is maybe a little stronger than they had anticipated. And look, Memphis uh, in the American is no different than Duke or North Carolina in the ACC. That's a game that opponents circle. That's a, you're going to get everyone's best shot because of your tradition and the power of your program relative to that league. And um, they, they've, uh, they've had some off shooting nights uh, and the, their defense has maybe not been quite as strong as they had hoped at some point. And, you know, they've got plenty of talent, plenty of time to turn it around. Every team is going to hit a rough spell during the season, and uh, they've just got to hope this is it for them and, and kind of turn the page because uh, I, I think they're an NCAA tournament team, uh, but they're going to have to earn it over these last four or five weeks because of their recent stumbles. All right, we're going to talk some more college basketball with Brian Mull when we come back uh, as he joins us here, and uh, we'll talk about some of the rest of the uh, games this weekend and what's happened in the week prior. All of that still to come here on the Patrick Johnson Show on uh, 94.3 The Game, 94.3thegame.com and the IBX Media app.
And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. We're uh, talking uh, college basketball with Brian Mull on a get-you-to-the-weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Um, talked to Brian Murphy a little bit earlier, uh, but the uh, date for sports gambling legalization in North Carolina has finally been announced, Mull. Uh you know, for someone that uh, I know has uh, kept a pretty watchful eye on this space, how big of a deal is this going to be? It's uh, overdue and super exciting, um, especially here in North Carolina. Uh, such a uh, sports, you know, so many sports enthusiasts, uh, so many sporting events. And, um, you know, it's exciting that it's going to happen this year before March Madness. Uh There'll be a lot of people jumping into the water and realizing how difficult it is to win initially. <laughs> and so I would caution everyone to proceed uh, carefully. But um, no, it's great. Uh, I think, uh, again, uh, it's, it should not have taken as long as it has, but it was it's the right decision on many levels. And uh, it should be a terrific form of entertainment. Uh, and uh, I would just uh, advise people to have as many options as they can. Because, uh, you know, it's just nice to shop. When you're shopping, you like to have more than one store. I'll just leave it at that. All right, uh, Brian, let's talk about a couple of uh, games. You know, there's some top 25 matchups. There's uh, some teams that have been in the top 25, top 10 even, that are out now that are playing teams that are ranked this weekend. So I think there's a lot of good basketball on uh, Saturday in particular. But let me ask you this. Let's start with uh, the game that will be played uh, that folks will hear on 94.1 and 102.7 at uh, 2 o'clock uh, tomorrow afternoon, and that is UNC, number three UNC, uh, at Florida State. Can the Knolls get the heels? Um, you know, that's never an easy game when you go down and face Leonard's team of large human beings that he always has uh, big athletic wings and, um, you know, good rim protection but the way North Carolina has been so consistent on the defensive end and the way that R.J. Davis is playing, not to mention the cast around him, the development of KDU has been impressive. Uh, I don't – I mean, you never know. On the road in an ACC game, I mean, anything can happen. But, but uh, I, I feel like Carolina's just got it in a different gear right now. Now they have to sustain that and even continue to build on that because uh, you want to be playing your best basketball in six weeks, not right now. But uh, this is a team that has come a long way in a, in a couple of months. And, um, you know, Florida State, it would be a marquee quad one victory for them, all, all, obviously. Um, but, but I like Carolina's chances. I think it'll be close, but um, I like their chances there. How does Duke avoid, after falling out of the top ten, a second straight home loss as Clemson comes in trying to fight for their season in many ways? Well, I mean, I think a, a, a fair amount of that game depends on the health of Jeremy Roach, who was uh, injured, injured his ankle in the first half last game against Louisville and tried to return and only played a minute in the second half and seen on crutches afterward uh, 
now, I mean, you never know the severity of ankle injury sometimes for a day or so, but uh, they're, they definitely need him against an opponent the caliber of Clemson. Um, I like what Shire said after the last game, and, and it showed in his rotation that he was going to play the guys who've, who defend and rebound. And uh, that meant a few more minutes for Sean Stewart, which I think is something that is vital to their success going forward. Uh, they need another big man in the rotation. And, and as, as much as Ryan Young has given them over the last couple of years, he's just limited uh, and defensively uh, a liability uh, in, in ball screen coverage and that sort of thing. So uh, I think it's wise to play Stewart. He's a freshman. Let him develop. He's got way – he's the most athletic guy in the program. Um you know, I thought that another big development out of that Louisville game was it was the first time we've seen the Tyrese Proctor that I think a lot of us expected to see in the preseason based on how he finished last year. Been a rough go for him. Another player uh, who's dealt with injuries, it feels like they've had a few on that roster. And uh, But he was really assertive in the Louisville game. Um, my question with Duke is I, I wonder a little bit uh, from, from some folks I've talked to about the chemistry in the locker room. Um, the sophomores are now the veterans but and are expected to be in a leadership role, but they're just sophomores. And uh, I think Roach is kind of a quiet guy, and I'm not sure he's a big vocal leader. So uh, I, I just wonder about the dynamics there. Um, you know, it's always – when you're turning over the roster from year to year, that's always a tricky part of uh, the equation. And you got to look at it like uh, the fact that, uh, you know, Clemson's going to be – as I said, kind of fighting for their uh, season in many ways. This would be a huge win for Clemson, who got off to that uh, fantastic uh, start. Uh, any other games uh, tomorrow or Sunday that stand out on your radar? Um, you know, there's nothing too – Xavier at UConn on Sunday is kind of interesting. That could be interesting, for yeah. Yeah, for those who are looking uh, – it's a noon game. You know, kind of a, a, a get, your, get your whistle wet before the, uh, before the big football games. Um, Kansas at Iowa State in in Hilton Coliseum, where where uh, you know Hilton Magic is a real thing, and uh, Kansas has certainly uh, shown some some vulnerability on the road. Uh, that's a that's a big Big Twelve game. Feels like there's two or three big Big Twelve games every every night that they play. Um, and and then uh, you know this Arizona team to me has been uh, they go to Oregon. That's they've been one of the hardest teams to figure out. Uh, every year when I watch them in November, I feel like they're going to win the national championship. And then uh, they inexplicably have a few road losses or just questionable performances in, in what's a very watered down week, Pac-12. So uh, I think, you know, they're, they're a team that has the tools, but they need to start uh, start playing like it's still still thought very fondly of by the metrics, top five in Kim Palm, and, um, but they need to start playing to that level. Hey, Brian, thanks a lot. Have a, a great weekend and enjoy all the sports this weekend. Have a great weekend, everybody. All right, there he goes. Brian Mull, follow him on Twitter at BG Mull. Hey, big thanks to uh, Brian Murphy for being with us. Brian Mull as well. Great job by Philip the Ref Pilkington and uh, Joe Sampson, a.k.a. Joey uh, Football. Uh, we are uh, saying goodbye to you for the uh, week. Thanks for being with us again this week on the PJ Show. Coming up on... Uh, Sad, uh, Sunday at 4.30, it'll be ECU taking on Temple at home. It's a 5 o'clock tip, 4.30 airtime, right here on 94.3 The Game. See you Monday in the morning time on Talk of the Town at 7 a.m. Back here with you at 5 o'clock. Well, we'll probably do, what, about 3, Pilk? 
3 o'clock that afternoon. Sounds good Monday. to me. And then back uh, with the PJ Show at 5 and, of course, inside Pirate Athletics at 6. So a lot to, lot to kick off the week with. Have a uh, Enjoy the game. Pilk, I got the home teams. I'm going uh, Baltimore and San Fran. How about you? Um, I think against the spread, I'm taking San Fran and I'm taking KC. I think uh, Justin Tucker on a last-second field goal portrays the Ravens. Wins it for the Ravens, yeah. Uh, be, be, rematch of a Super Bowl from a few years ago be a heck of a, a Super Bowl, I think. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. Be safe.